one word, inflation. As if recruiting and retention these days aren't hard enough, and all that hard work we did to increase wages coming out of the pandemic has been completely nullified by, you guessed it, inflation. And one of the things that I think has been a um, misunderstanding in the world of compensation management is that merit increases have to stay in line with inflation. And I'm pretty sure your employees see things a little differently. I feel underpaid. I don't feel valued. And therefore, I'm going to I'm going to at least look at other opportunities outside. And will they find that pay increase? Well, we just saw today that Microsoft increased their uh, their budgets. They say they, they've come out and said they're, they're doubling their pay budgets for 2022 to be able to deal with this. Not every company is going to be able to do that. We don't all have Microsoft-sized budgets. So? What do I do? And the answer is, don't do anything rash. Don't kill your margins by giving increases that are unwarranted or unnecessary. How exactly does throwing money at the problem make it worse? I mean, it seems counterintuitive. Just try and throw money at the problem, you're exacerbating an issue. How exactly does throwing money at the problem make it worse? I mean, it seems counterintuitive. And so you get this compression where you get the, the non-exempt roles getting paid more, and then the supervisory and managerial roles not seeing that much of an increase, and therefore the compression between those levels. That seems a little confusing. How do you explain that to an employee? Because you don't want to start talking HR to people. You want to talk their language. Okay, like what? A lot of organizations are actually utilizing things like sign-on bonuses and other types of short-term incentive to incentivize people to uh, come and stay. And I think another thing that I applaud organizations for doing is for paying for training or paying for education. These are concepts that are easier to explain because they've been around for a while. There's a lot of pressure to come up with the right solution for your organization. And the way to deal with that pressure is to do research and to figure it out. And if you haven't developed or redeveloped your pay strategies to be transparent, you're going to have to open that up a little bit and open the box and be able to start communicating with people as to how things work. So this is something you need to stay on top of. There are things you have to do all the time, like taking a shower or a bath or brushing your teeth every night and morning or changing the batteries in your smoke detector every six months. The thing you cannot do is just ignore it, close your eyes and it'll go away. We all want to practice good compensation hygiene, right? So grab a towel or a toothbrush because we're going to clean up this mess inflation has created for your employees right here, right now on the Get Pay Right podcast. From the Salary.com studio in Waltham, Massachusetts, this is Get Pay Right, the podcast that dives deep into the current compensation topics that matter to you most, so you can get it right every time. Inflation is at a 40-year high. Are you feeling it? I mean, certainly your employees are. In a recent Salary.com pulse percent of the company said their employees have shared their concerns with their managers, HR folks, or leadership team. I mean, just when you thought you had a handle on the great resignation, now inflation. Aren't the labor markets tight enough? Challenges is David Tretzky, Vice President of Consulting here at Salary.com. 
just when companies are getting the handle on salary adjustments caused by the pandemic, and now we got employees telling them these adjustments aren't enough because of inflation, what are companies supposed to do? Hey, Kevin, it's a great question. And one of the things that I think has been a misunderstanding in the world of compensation management is that merit increases have to stay in line with inflation. Yes, we do try and index our merit increases with what's happening in the market. And yes, uh, inflation's at a 40-year high with 8.5% that we've seen. It, it will cause lots of pressure on people. And that pressure in on employees is going to translate to what are you going to do for us when it comes time for salary increases? Now, a lot of companies have just gone through their salary increase cycle. And so they're now kind of saying, what are we going to do? Well, we just saw today that Microsoft increased their uh, their budgets. They say they they've come out and said they're they're doubling their pay budgets for 2022 to be able to deal with this. Not every company is going to be able to do that, and so it is going to cause a lot of stress. Basically, a lot more of the Great Resignation. A lot of people are going to say, "I just only got four percent or three percent. It doesn't keep me whole with inflation." Again, as I said, that's not exactly what it's supposed to do, but then they're going to want to walk from this. So I, I should have you introduce yourself, give a brief introduction. I mean, obviously, I know you quite well, but not everybody else does. So I've been doing compensation consulting as a practitioner, internally consulting as well as externally consulting for over 30 years, um, mainly trying to utilize technology to help managers make better decisions about their people by leveraging things that we know um, and things we don't know, trying to find evidence in the market by looking at statistics to tell us what's happening and to try and find ways of telling stories to managers and executives about how they can leverage good data about the market that they're working in to help them make the best decisions, what I like to call business decisions, but business decisions about their people. And so that brought me to salary.com. And I love working with my friends like Kevin Plunkett. Oh, come on. You don't have to flatter me. Um, <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> but, I mean, look, the state of the economy everybody's mind, right? Uh, you mentioned the inflation issue and, and the, the Federal Reserve, you know, doing a rare interest rate hike. We've got midterm elections coming up. You know, I, I suspect, and, and inflation, and, and obviously, gas cost of living, et cetera. How long do we think that this sort of will impact us kind of moving forward? Is this something that's just temporary? Is this something that's going to be around for a few years? Do we have a sense for that? So that's a great question. And just like other cycles, economic cycles, it lasts for a period of time. We go through highs and we go through lows. And this is going to lead to a recessionary period that we've lived through before and come out the other side. And what it tells us is that as we live through a recession, we tighten our belts a little bit. We spend only on the things that are most necessary and we keep going. This isn't the first time we've faced increased prices. What is different about this time is it's increased prices in areas that will cause other prices to rise like gasoline and diesel fuel going up causes a ripple effect across the market. Even the avian flu killing 27 million chickens just recently caused the price of eggs as well as chicken and other meats to go up as well. So these are things we just have to deal with and be able to find 
ways that we will suffer through it and be able to get out the other side. It does cause severe uh, stress to employees. And that level of stress then translates to employers and employers say, what do I do? And the answer is, don't do anything rash. Don't kill your margins by giving increases that are unwarranted or unnecessary. Giving salary increases compounds your fixed price of your goods going forward. And there are lots of other things that can happen to be able to help alleviate those pains and pressures that uh, don't increase your fixed costs going forward. Yeah, but I mean, you know, sitting in the, in the seat of HR, it's it's probably to react to the various fluctuations or things you're seeing out in the market, right? I mean, we are being bombarded by information every week about something going on with, with the economy. You know, sure. so are our employees. And we just went through two really tough times for employers and employees, right? And folks, as you mentioned, went through the process of, you know, looking at salary increases and maybe probably looking at structures and the like. You know, for those that were very proactive and got a handle on it, they probably feel like, why why do we bother? I mean, we're, you know, back in the same boat again. I mean, I I don't mean to sound Pollyannish about this, but it sort of feels like, oh my God, how many hits can we take? It's true, but I think to answer to answer that point, I, I think it's the companies that haven't done that research. It's the companies that haven't done that work that have a bigger problem. If you're, and, and this is always the case in compensation, if you just try and throw money at the problem, you're exacerbating an issue. But if you take a thoughtful approach to, I'm going to look at the market, I'm going to see where my uh, labor market has shifted, I'm going to look at my salary structures and look at the cost structures underlying how I pay people and make sure that it represents what is accurate in the marketplace today by doing your appropriate market pricing, by rebuilding your structures or just re-evaluating your structures. Then what you've done is you can tell your employees that you're being paid fairly for what the market is doing today. How the market shifts and reacts, yes, those are things that we will get to. But having a good strategy for being able to communicate to employees that we've done the analyses and we're being transparent about it, that we're paying at market rates today, gives them at least the comfort level that you've done the work and that you're not just reacting and telling them, I'm not going to give you more of an increase. So it comes from a position of strength in the communication of, I've done the work, I've figured it out. And here's where we're going to need to make target increases. Um, But across the board, we think we're okay. And what are kind of like for those folks that maybe haven't fully addressed this, what is a good first step in order to get started on that pathway? I mean, the tight labor market, I don't see relenting anytime soon. You know, even even in the face of a recession, I think we're we're still going to be fairly tight on the labor markets. So that pressure, you know, is employers are just going to have to learn to live with and deal with and manage. So what do you do? Exactly. And the way to deal with that pressure is to do research and to figure it out and to make sure that we understand what areas we have that are weak and what areas are we strong in and be able to make sure that as you're communicating to your employees and over communicating to your employees about what position we're in and where we have areas of strength and weakness that you can make sure that it's backed up by facts. And I think that's where they need to actually start is 
work with the leaders to have a pay philosophy that supports transparency and that enables all of the managers to understand what the rules are and all the leaders to understand what the rules are, and then to come out to all of your employees and say, here's how we do what we do in compensation. Here's how we study the markets. And here's how we make decisions around what our budgets are and how we um, actually look at the areas of strength and weakness and go after them. If you don't actually go out and tell them proactively in a very transparent way, and you keep the the methodology of managing compensation in the box, then you're going to get those people who feel stress and say, I don't know how you do this. You don't tell me how you do this. And therefore, I feel uncomfortable. I feel underpaid. I don't feel valued. And therefore, I'm going to at least look at other opportunities outside. So to me, it comes down to being transparent and making sure people understand you're doing the work. And should you be paying attention to sort of cost of living and, and, and what adjustments are happening there? And, and is there anything you could do or should do relative to that? The cost of living adjustments are great for certain roles where cost of living adjustments are focused on being able to provide a market indexed pay increase based on uh, pre-agreed rules. Um, it's not for all jobs. It's for certain jobs. Merit increases are actually how we usually address cost of living adjustments. Um, and merit increase has the attachment of having that pay for performance methodology built into it. The problem is, is that for most organizations, they are only targeting like four or five percent increases um, at, at a budget. And when you start to actually give that out um, and you know, even at the highest end of that, with the highest performers getting the most, they're probably not going to get more than a six or seven percent increase um, unless you're giving a lot of zeros. And therefore, um, it's probably not going to be the case where many people are getting an at inflation rate. Um, they're probably going to get much less than inflation, which, again, if you're communicating how you're doing things and why you're doing things and you're not trying to make up for inflation with your merit increase, but you're trying to help make sure that they understand that it's based on what the market is doing, then then that will hopefully successfully answer the question for uh, for employees. And do you take the same approach for hourly jobs as you would um, salaried positions, or do you have to do you have to think about those slightly differently? I think in compensation, we've always thought of them differently. Uh, we've always thought of executives and um, professionals and hourly roles separately. And we've tried to look at what the marketplace is doing. Fascinatingly, I think that the market for non-exempt hourly roles have been more uh, under pressure lately, especially from new entrants like Amazon and others in lots of different areas where um, the manager or the professional managerial haven't seen as much pressure from the market. And so you get this compression where <laughs> you get the, the non-exempt roles getting paid more and then the supervisory and managerial roles not seeing that much of an increase and therefore the compression between those levels. And so, yeah, I think that what we might actually see this year is merit increases for non-exempts getting higher than the um, exempt uh, and uh, the executive roles. But that hasn't actually borne out in the surveys. The surveys see them as all the same, which I'm a little disappointed in, but um, it, it's not surprising. Um, keeping those numbers similar at those three levels has always kind of been 
on track for at least the history that I've seen. But I mean, that trend not showing up in the numbers just could be the natural lag of surveys versus the market, right? It absolutely could be. And salary.com's tried to do, um, they've done a really good job of being able to stay ahead of that by doing intermediate surveys that kind of test the waters of how have market adjustments changed given the market dynamics. But I, I still don't think if I if I remember correctly, Kevin, I don't think we've seen mass differences or, or gigantic differences between the non-exempt, exempt, and executive roles in the uh, the different budgets. My assumption is organizations are feeling more pressure on the non-exempt. Absolutely, because that seems to be the segment of the population that does, that has been hurt the most generally in the last few years, right? Absolutely, uh, totally also agree. the same ones that you know are getting hurt. I mean. What do you do? It's a tough adjustment, right? I feel like you're gonna you're here between keeping that population happy yet staying within budget, so you're not, you know, adding to increase cost to your, you know, customers. I think it also comes down to what we're doing outside of just pay, right? Because there are other things that companies have been trying to do for workers to keep them whole, like, for example, being more flexible on working arrangements or time, um, being flexible about um, hybrid work in the office or outside the office. For those roles that don't need to be at a location, I think companies are trying to be more flexible. Even for companies that have the need and bringing people back into the office, they're trying to be more flexible around not just the attendance, but also trying to be flexible around how they support those individuals with uh, other types of, um, whether it's fringe benefits or um, or even their their PTO policies, to be able to make sure that those uh, those types of workers can take care of the things that they had gotten used to during the work from home period or from the periods that they were actually on sabbatical. And is variable pay an element here that come into play from some of these roles? I think that variable pay has always been a really good way in a short-term basis to be able to reward performance. I think what will be fascinating to see is how the performance of organizations and how they fund their variable pay programs are going to work in an era of recession. I mean, yes, some companies have paid them out anyways. As far as the traditional um, variable pay programs, I think they're going to be pretty steady. But a lot of organizations are actually utilizing things like sign-on bonuses and other types of short-term incentive to incentivize people to come and stay. Because, of course, a sign-on bonus has a, a lag to it. It has a tail to it where if you leave within a period of time, you have to actually pay it back, which could be harmful to people if they try and have to you know, give back a sign-on bonus after after a period of time. And and I think another thing that I, I applaud organizations for doing is for paying for training or paying for education, which increases the skills of those workers that um, even if they are paid today at market, uh, one of the things we always see is that skills evolve. And if the people don't evolve in those roles, then they're not going to be as useful as if they were taking training and being able to expand their horizons. So I also applaud organizations for the increased budgets in learning development programs, as well as for paying for the expense of uh, either third-party or university education for those people in organizations to get reskilled and upskilled. And culture, right, is another one. 
And we've talked about in other sure. on other aspects of this podcast or other podcasts. I mean, if you haven't spent time on your culture and working on your culture to make your working environment attractive and engaging and communicative, all the money at the money in the world at a problem that it just still won't fix the problem. Yeah, as I mentioned before, you know, paying transparently is not a process. Paying transparently is a philosophy. And it means you may have to throw out a lot of old process um, because the new process needs to see the light of day. And you may not want to expose some of those things that were done in the box. You may want to redevelop them and make sure that uh, the leaders understand them, the managers understand them, and that the employees can consume them. A lot of times we use a lot of words <laughs> in like compression in HR that employees probably don't understand nor do they care about. Um, but you need to find ways of explaining things to them that make sense to them and that they can buy into. Because you don't want to start talking HR to people. You want to talk their language. You want to communicate to them effectively. And when you start paying transparently and you start acting more transparently and your culture changes to do that, you need to find a new way of being able to relate to people. And I know it's hard for HR sometimes, but... <laughs> That's what we have to well, do. it's also the line managers too, yes. right? I mean, a lot of that pressure and responsibility falls on those line managers that, uh, you know, aren't always equipped to have those conversations. Exactly. They're A, just because it's their personality and they're not comfortable talking about it, or B, they just don't fully understand it themselves. And so education of line managers yeah. around how to have that conversation, I think, is a really key, key thing to think about. Absolutely. I think we've set, we in HR have set those line managers up for failure because we kept so many things secret from everybody else that we, we get, didn't give them the tools to be able to, or the script at least, to be able to have good conversations around pay and why we did things. And that's why we always heard that it's because HR made me do it. <laughs> or I, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I really want to do this for you because I, you know, I, I like you. You're a good person and you're a really valued member of the team, but HR won't let me. Well, those things go away in an era of tr pay transparency because the rules are now open and people understand them. And so it will come with education than intestinal fortitude that managers will be able to get the right script and be able to get the right training to feel comfortable and have those conversations that in the past they used to just blame on us. All right. So uh, listen, what if you had to have a, a, a toolkit or a, a tool belt, right? And you're going to give it to an HR manager around how to deal with these and inflation and the like, what, what are the five things you'd sort of have in your tool belt uh, at the ready for, for, for somebody that has to deal with this problem internally? I think that's a great question. I think the first thing I do is start with my CFO and develop a framework as to why we pay what we pay and what is our budget and um, how we can... The second thing would be once we understand the budget and understand what we can spend for 2022... Then the second thing is to have a communication framework designed as to how you're going to communicate what you can communicate. And if you haven't developed or redeveloped your pay strategies to be transparent, you're going to have to open that up a little bit and open the box and be able to start communicating with people as to how things work and at least develop a communication strategy to enable a little bit of transparency so that you're getting ahead of this. The, the thing you cannot do is just ignore it, 
close your eyes and it'll go away. You're not going to be able to survive the recession that way. The third thing I would do is once you've developed that pay, that pay communications framework is, as you mentioned, um, develop the educational tools to give to managers to understand how that affects them and how it affects their employees. So that's a very different communications tool. So it's not going to everybody. It's going directly to managers and give managers the ability to answer back. Give them the opportunity to ask questions and then publish an FAQ of if a manager says something and the, the employee answers, how do you respond? And how do you give them that script? So it's an FAQ and a script. So it's a communication platform. The fourth thing I would do, it would be to re-look at my structures and do the research to look at your, um, your market and your structures to make sure that everything is in line and that you, are, that you fully understand what your um, liabilities are around um, what jobs are hot and what jobs are not. Um, in what locations, and have a good framework um, inside of that to address them. And the fifth thing would be to make sure we have a plan for how do we emerge from a recession. That a communication strategy gets developed for if we deepen the recession, if the recession continues, or if the recession ends and we get a period of growth. Um, Because if we think that the world of the Great Recession gets worse, um, just by continuing on, um, it will get worse if either the recession continues or it will get worse if the recession ends and we get a period of growth and then there are more opportunities for people. So how do we emerge from 2022 is what I'm asking. So the fifth thing would be emergence. And, from and I guess the sixth thing, if you're, if you're going to take all that time and energy to go through that process is, uh, uh, set up some kind of a maintenance program, right? So that you don't have to go backwards, right? You can you can build what you've done and continue yeah. to check in. And I imagine that's probably a piece that probably gets forgotten in the mix. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because the effort to get there sometimes is so, uh, it takes a lot of focus and energy. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and you're right. It's not like I forgot. It's just, to me, those things are, are, are hygiene. They're things you have to do all the time, like taking a shower or a bath or brushing your teeth every night and morning or changing the batteries in your smoke detector every six months. You know, it's things you need to do, but you kind of don't do because you forget about them because they should be routine. But I totally agree. I think going and revisiting one through five on a, on a regular basis is absolutely hygiene. And what kind of cadence would you recommend? Is it, is it a quarterly thing? Is it a monthly thing? Is it a yearly thing? Yeah, I don't think we can invest the time on a quarterly basis to do it. My advice is is that you, as you're developing your merit increase budgets um, and you're developing your strategies for year end in the September October timeframe, as long as you have a, a Gen One date, that you have you start those processes with that CFO meeting um, and have that rough conversation with them about what did we or what are we emerging from this fiscal year? How are we planning for next fiscal year so that you can plan for not only your bonus programs that that will should pay out um, but also the merit increases and getting them ready for also market adjustments or pay equity adjustments or other things so that you're setting kind of the framework for how much is it going to cost me to operate next year in the areas in which we compete excellent so i know we're, we're just here we've covered quite a bit i think you know if i had to sum something up as far as how to deal with these economic impacts and inflation is don't have a knee-jerk reaction. 
take the time, step back, plan, and put an action for how to not just deal with today's issues, but what we're anticipating uh, will be coming down the road. I said it better myself. <laughs> yes, you did. You said much better earlier. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, David, what would you, I mean, any, any piece of advice here? I think you covered it. Uh, to me, this is an evolving process. Compensation is never, it never done. We're always reevaluating where we are. My advice would be to keep reevaluating. Thank you, David, for joining us. My pleasure. The Get Pay Right podcast is produced by Kevin Plunkett, Julie Murphy, and Megan Nato. If there are topics you'd like to hear about, let us know at getpayrightatsalary.com. A big thank you to our sound engineer, Jay Sheehan of Garrett Audio. Thank you all for listening and make the time to get pay right.